News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Moore v. Harper. That's the case. The Independent State Legislature Doctrine or Theory. Whatever. Like they all right. People who don't like this thing, uh, th- this interpretation, they call it a theory. The people who do, they call it a doctrine. So uh, it's also referred to as uh, ISL, so Independent State Legislature. And it, the shorthand for it is that state legislature should be able to write all of their election law regarding congressional federal races, and not uh, and not anybody else in the state, state court. And this comes from North Carolina. It comes from the the redistricting fight that we have been having since Republicans took over, basically. Um, but the most recent one where our congressional maps that we just voted in, we had 14 congressional districts in the state, seven went for Republicans, seven went for Democrats. That's what Democrats call, quote, fair maps, even though Democrats' own expert witness at trial said that the numbers actually indicate that it should go about a 9-5 to five Republican split, maybe 10-4 to four Republican split. But we got 7-7. Seven, seven. So we're going to go over the details of the ISL, okay, and what was going on today. I, I listened to virtually all of the oral arguments, and I got to tell you, I'm probably not going to have a lot of sound bites, if any at all, for tomorrow out of this thing, just because it was really boring. Oh, my gosh, so boring. There were, I mean, there was, yes, a mention of Lollapalooza that got some laughs, so maybe I'll pull that. But uh, the majority of the stuff was just really, really in the weeds, legal minutiae, you know? So at the heart of this, Moore v. Harper, the Speaker of the, the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, is asking the Supreme Court to take a look at this independent state legislature theory or doctrine, the ISL. Tim Moore says that the, the Constitution's elections clause states that, quote, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. And so the argument is that unlike other constitutional provisions, this clause does not refer to the state, but it refers to the legislature. And that matters because in the uh, in the, uh, the debate at the Constitutional Convention, there was great discussion. Is it state? Is it legislature about various uh, portions of the Constitution? And so this was a deliberate use of the word legislature to mean the legislative branch of the government, the legislature, right? To me, I'm just a simple man. I'm just a little old talk radio host. So what do I know? But the word legislature to me in my lifetime has always meant the same thing. It's the legislative body. That's the legislature. But apparently... Not when the lawyers get involved. No, no. Apparently, this has been up for a debate for quite a while. The legislature could actually include just we the people. Even though we the people get our own term, we the people. It could also include sometimes like the executive branch or the bureaucrats. Yeah, lawyers have made just a complete mess of this. As they tend to do. Anyway, I'm kidding. It's just, oh, come on. If I can't make lawyer jokes, I mean, do I even want to live in a country I can't make lawyer jokes. All right. Last November, the North Carolina legislature enacted a new map for congressional elections in response to the census, right? So this prompted the lawsuits from the lefties. They found uh, a bunch of uh, voters 
uh, Rebecca Harper was one of them. And uh, they sued in all of the different districts, and um, they went to state court in order to prevent the new map from taking effect. And they argued that the map violated various provisions of the North Carolina Constitution. And they say it represented an unlawful partisan gerrymander. Even though there's nothing in the law in our Constitution in North Carolina that says you can't gerrymander for partisan reasons. There's There's no prohibition against partisan gerrymandering. There isn't. There are rules about how to draw the districts, which, by the way, the legislature, the body, the legislature, they followed. They followed all the criteria with the, uh, uh, the county groupings, the, the, the whole county provisions where you can't just break up counties, that sort of thing. You have to have the same population, right? They, they followed all of the rules as set forth in the law. Laws, by the way, written by, you guessed it, Democrats. So they followed all the laws. But they got their map struck down anyway because the Democrats did not like the outcome. And they say that we should have essentially a proportionate representation model. That's what the four Democrats on the state Supreme Court forced the lower court to do because the original lower court threw the case out. It got appealed. The state Supreme Court's four Democrats fast-tracked the case to themselves where they issued this ruling. Essentially, it's an Obergefell kind of ruling like love wins. You know, it's just uh, it's not fair and free, fair and free elections. And so they sent it back down saying, redraw the maps and make them, quote, fair and free and make sure that they're essentially balanced. And so that's what the, quote, special masters did while being advised by a guy out of Princeton who's a partisan hack, who was a uh, who was used by left-wing groups in litigation against the General Assembly. He's the one that was providing the uh, the map-making math and such. Okay, so in February, the Supreme Court enjoined the map, concluding that although state uh, the state legislature has the duty to apportion North Carolina's congressional districts, the legislature's, quote, exercise of this power is subject to limitations imposed by other state constitutional provisions. And that the state's judiciary has the responsibility to protect the state constitutional rights of the citizens. The court further concluded that the map was an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. They sent it back to the state trial court, and that's where they did the redraw. So Speaker Moore and other state legislatures then file an emergency application asking the U.S. Supreme Court to stay the North Carolina Supreme Court's order to block it, basically. But the U.S. Supreme Court said no. The justices denied emergency relief. If I recall correctly, it was because it was so very close to an election. Justice Sam Alito joined Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch. They dissented. They said, no, we should take this up. They said it's an important and recurring uh, question of constitutional law. And they said further review may be warranted, um, Once a a different petition is filed, Justice Kavanaugh concurred uh, in the decision to deny the stay. But um, he said we should take this up. If the court receives petitions raising this issue, uh, we should grant the petition and we should hear it, have a full oral argument. And so that's what happened today. That's how we got to where we are today, which people are calling uh, this case the most important case on democracy ever. In a non-hyperbolic sort of way. The questions presented whether a state's judicial branch 
may nullify the regulations governing the manner of holding elections. Everybody is focusing on the map-making part of this because that's what precipitated it. There is another part here that I suspect, and in what I was listening to today, that it did not get really any kind of um, any kind of attention. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. The most important part of of uh, this litigation to me, to find out if there's any willingness by the Supreme Court to touch it, is um, the ability of the bureaucrats to rewrite law, the collusive settlements that we saw, the COVID type changes to law, right? The COVID related changes to our election laws, things that were done without legislative, uh, legislative approval. That's affected by this stuff too. Now there's this other theory on the left where they're like, Oh my, and not just the left. I will say this. There is bipartisan opposition to this idea that the North Carolina Republicans are floating. I'm going to give you both sides here. There is opposition here from conservative Republican federalist judges and lawyers and such. So, They're afraid that if the Supreme Court, uh, they keep calling it the in the oral arguments today, they were calling it the blast radius, that if you guys rule a certain way, the blast radius is you're going to have all this collateral damage. You're going to have all this damage done to various election laws throughout America, one of which is, right, the, the electors issue. This is the very thing that Donald Trump tried to to uh, to cite. This was the argument he tried to make when he tried to throw out the election results from certain states and get different electors appointed. And you'll recall there was a guy named Luttig that advised Vice President Pence, you do not have authority to do what Trump is asking you to do. Okay, so that guy is being quoted, that lawyer, Luttig, he's being quoted all over the place. And he's a conservative lawyer. He was, in fact, he was up for an appointment on the U.S. Supreme Court by George W. Bush, who picked Alito instead. So... I think the guy knows what he's talking about to some degree. But everyone's afraid of the blast radius taking out like these electors, the you know, faithless elector issue and all of that. But then I've also seen a lot of experts that say, no, that's ridiculous. It's unfounded. That's that's not going to happen. But to me, I would like to see there there be some guardrails put around these courts that are just making up stuff and these bureaucrats that just make up law. And without going through a legislative process, because this is what Democrats do when they don't control the legislature. They use the executive branch and they use the courts to legislate. And that needs to stop. And the reason why we are in uh, the, this case and this mess we're, uh, that we're in right now is because of what the Democrats have been doing for the last decade in North Carolina. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The ISL, the Independent State Legislature Doctrine Theory, generating a lot of quote analysis and predictions and speculation. And So I'm trying to give you both sides of the, uh, the story here because it's a complicated case. And uh, it's got people, uh, the, the opposition to this idea, I think, has more bipartisan uh, more bipartisan flavor than those who support it. I think most of the the people and organizations and and states that have signed on to the Republican legislature's uh, petition to the Supreme Court, I think that's they all tend to be of the right. There, but the opposition 
to this idea is coming from not just the left, which seems to be uniformly, well, just on everything, but uniformly against uh, this. But then there are some other detractors uh, and opponents on the right as well. So here is our, our old pals at McClatchy, uh, Charlotte Observer, News and Observer. Uh, they have an editorial about this, um, and they call it a potentially disastrous case, or sorry, a case with potentially disastrous consequences for American democracy. I got to tell you, if I hear this caterwauling about democracy, never again it'll be too soon. Oh, my God. First off, who do you think you are? Seriously, like, who do you think you are to say that our system of government, first off, is a democracy, but second of all, is so weak. It's survived all this time, and you guys are now trying to tell me, oh, my God, we're going to lose it. Oh, there it is. Oh, no, now this is it. it." And you notice it's always the Republicans that are going to destroy the democracy. There's never any kind of threat threat to the democracy from the Democrats. No, no, no. This is why I say if, if you just swap out the term democracy for Democrat, it makes a lot more sense. So they say Republicans say that people are exaggerating what more v. Harper will actually mean. It's just about courts and maps, they say, dismissing concerns about the case's repercussions as hype and clickbait. Even if that's true, more v. Harper still poses a threat. Even if Republican lawmakers are not explicitly asking the Supreme Court to write democracy's obituary, what they are arguing for is ominous enough. See, so what are they saying there? What are they saying? Like, we're worried that this thing is going to be terrible. The blast radius immense and the democracy will be dead. But if that's not true, it's still going to be bad. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. That's what this tells me. This is just wild speculation. This is just, this is being led by the most neurotic set of the population. That's what this feels like. The people who are who are jumping at their own shadows are somehow directing the course of the debate. It's it's nuts. Contrary to the GOP's assertions, these concerns are not tall tales concocted by liberals. Experts, legal scholars and election officials from both political parties have filed briefs with the court urging justices to reject the legislature's argument. The Bar Association warned the court that the case could, quote, cripple the rule of law. A group of former Republican officials said it could cause unprecedented electoral disruption. Right, so, th- so they're blowing this up to say all of these parade, this parade of terribles is going to occur if the Supreme Court rules for the legislature in North Carolina. Now, of course, there, there are, are other options here. Right, it, this is not a simple choice between I agree with you or I agree with you. There, are, the Supreme Court, do, and they do it all the time, right? Which is to dissect a large case, and you think, oh, good, we're going to get a ruling on you know whatever, and it turns out that they, they, they go after a very narrow part of the law, and they speak to just a very tiny little bit of the issue. But the way this is all framed in the in the coverage, it's all, oh, my God, end of democracy and just this over the top rhetoric. When I suspect what the Supreme Court is looking to do is to try to figure out a way to rein in 
the overreach of a state court because that's what clearly occurred here. Clearly. And they say it was it was worth it. Don't get me wrong, like the, the left and the media, but I repeat myself, they say it's it was worth it because the Republicans acted poorly too. So they say the GOP part, did a partisan gerrymander and they're trying to uh, you know rig the game and so therefore the judiciary needed to overreach. Because, and the and the court, the four Democrats on the court, they explicitly say this. They're like, this is an extreme thing to do, but we're going to do it because if not us, then who? If not now, then when? Right? Like, this was their argument. Is that proper? Is that constitutional? And this is where the legislature is saying, you don't have that authority to divine, a la Roe v. Wade, you don't have this authority to divine stuff, to just make up law particularly when it comes to the congressional redistricting, because that's prescribed by the U.S. Constitution. And the U.S. Constitution says that all of this stuff is under the legislature's purview, which has now prompted this debate about, well, what do they mean by legislature? Do we even really know? Is it possible to determine what the term legislature actually means? It's amazing how people get so confused by the definitions of words that we've never had any confusion over before, but now we have the confusion because it serves a larger political agenda for this moment. And by the way, the other reason why we're in this mess is because for years, Democrats gerrymandered to such an extent that they got taken to the Supreme Court multiple times. They got smacked down multiple times. They got Roy Cooper used to draw the maps And he got smacked down by the courts and by the DOJ for gerrymandering. And so what happened over the course of Democratic gerrymandering, rules got put in place. And so then Democrats had to follow the rules. And when they followed the rules, they lost the House and the Senate. They lost in 2010. And there were other things I mentioned before, but yes, they lost. So the rules that were written ahead of time were written by the courts, Right? Then the legislature had to come back and abide by them, and the federal government was with the pre-clearance stuff under the Civil Rights Act. Right, they were, There were all these rules that got put in place. And then all of a sudden, Republicans started drawing the maps under the same rules that were, that were given to the Democrats. And now, all of a sudden, the rules didn't mean the same thing that they had always meant. Now you had Democrat judges hearing lawsuits coming from Democrat groups, and now the judges said, oh, well, now this thing means the opposite. No, no, yeah, so now you now you can use race a little bit. Oh, that's too much. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Too much, send it back. Like that, this is where we are. They have not created any kind of sustainable, understandable, consistent standards. That's the problem. And so any map that the legislature draws is open to litigation. Literally any map can be sued over. And if you get the right judge, which Democrats know which judges will rule in their favor— If you get the right judges, you'll get the right outcome for yourself. And that's why it's just a mess. All righty. So the uh, McClatchy editorial board says, don't be fooled by those who say that this case at the Supreme Court on the independent state legislative doctrine, uh, legislature doctrine, uh, that it's uh, that it's not as bad as it sounds. What is terrifying about Moore v. Harper is not the damage that could be done in the worst case scenario. It's that even when taken at face value, it is still plenty dangerous to democracy. Guys, I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a there's an old story. Nobody really ever, I'm not sure it ever really got passed down through the ages. 
I read it in an obscure book a long time ago. It's about a child who um, is constantly pretending to see um, a predator outside of the village, constantly screaming that there's this predator. Oh, there's a predator. Oh, my gosh, there's a predator. Oh, there's a predator. And at first, the townsfolk are like, oh, my gosh, they'll run out there, like, go to kill the predator. I think it was a wolf, maybe. And they're like, go kill this thing. And then they go out there and, ha, 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 that wasn't a predator. He just made it all up. And then he goes, the kid does it again. And they all run out. No predator. And he does it again. They all run out. No wolf. And eventually, the townsfolk are like, this kid's a liar. This kid is just, he's just screaming wolf all the time, and there's no wolf. And then the kid finally sees a real wolf. He screams wolf. Nobody comes, and wolf eats the kid. Those are the kinds of, those are the kinds of fairy tales I got told when I was a kid. But um, there's almost like there's a larger meaning to be taken from that story, you know? And I'm not sure you guys in the media over at McClatchy uh, Editorial Board, I'm not sure you guys realize this, but like people don't. Take what you say seriously, because you guys are so over the top all the time on this stuff. All the time. So here's the other side of this argument, okay? Mitch Kokai at Carolina Journal, formerly of CBS Radio News. Lawyers and pundits have written tens of thousands of words about the Moore v. Harper case. Surprisingly, few of those words focus on the actual issue at the heart of the legal dispute. Here's the question that state lawmakers presented to the nation's highest court. Quote, whether a state's judicial branch may nullify the regulations governing the manner of holding elections for senators and representatives prescribed by the legislature thereof, and whether the state court can replace them with regulations of the state court's own devising based on vague state constitutional provisions purportedly vesting the state judiciary with power to prescribe whatever rules it deems appropriate to ensure a fair or free election, right? Fair and free, these terms are way more open to subjective interpretation than I would submit than the word legislature, right? And so the question is, does the state's judicial branch get to scrap the laws and rules written by the legislature, which is defined in the U.S. Constitution as having control over this process? Does the state high court get to scrap that and write its own rules? Rules that, by the way are not discernible for any kind of standard going forward. They don't, they, they don't create any kind of standard for future lawmakers to look at. They didn't do that. This is the problem. This is like what's the, the old ruling with the pornography. It was, uh, I'll know it when I see it. That's how they behave. A three-judge trial, a three-judge trial court panel agreed that lawmakers had drawn a map clearly favoring Republicans. But the bipartisan panel also ruled unanimously that nothing within the state's constitution or legal history blocked lawmakers from using partisanship in the map drawing process. It wasn't against the law. There is no rule about using partisanship, party ID or affiliation or advantage. There's nothing in the law that says you can't do that. Now, you may disagree that it should be in the law, but you cannot disagree that it's it that it's in the law. It's not. It's clearly not there. Enter Democrat judges, lawyers with a wardrobe change, and now we can divine that, yes, partisan advantage is in the Constitution. It's right there under free and fair elections. Ha-ha! 
See, free and fair means no partisanship. Along a 4-3 party line vote, the Democratic majority threw out the map. Justices gave lawmakers suggestions but no firm rules for how to avoid excessive partisanship with a revised map. The high court returned the case to the trial court. The trial panel then tossed out the legislature's revised map because the legislature did another map following the rules, or so they thought, following the guidance that the the Supreme Court told them when they chucked out the map. So the lawmakers redrew it again. And it still got tossed out. It's almost as if we're playing Calvin ball here. So the judges submitted their own map. The state Supreme Court did nothing to block that decision. Lawmakers are taking direct aim at the state Supreme Court's Democratic justices who called on trial court judges to oversee the map-making process. Here's what the lawmakers argued in their brief. Quote, rather than setting forth a determinate legal standard, the state Supreme Court remanded to the lower court to conduct the quintessentially political task of applying, quote, some combination of various partisanship metrics. But the Supreme Court refused to specify which set of metrics should actually be used. How do you demonstrate or disprove the existence of an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander if you don't have any set of metrics by which to judge them? Legislator, they'll, they'll know it when they see it. That's, what they, that's essentially what they're saying. They'll know it when they see it. Legislative leaders note that the state Supreme Court based its ruling on state constitutional provisions that say exactly nothing about election maps. It's one thing for a state to effectively delegate to the judiciary the authority to enforce specific and judicially manageable standards. For example, I've already mentioned these, contiguousness, right? you got to have counties that touch each other. If, if they're in the same district, you got, they got to touch each other. You can't draw you know, a district that has two counties on either side of the state. You can't do that. They, gotta, they have to be contiguous. They have to be compact, right? You can't just, like, remember the... Mel Watts district, right? Mel Watts district that literally was as wide as I-85 going from Charlotte to Greensboro because Democrats, gerrymandering kings as they were, literally drew a map that looked like a snake in order to make sure Mel Watt got that seat every single time. Oh, and when the Democrats on the bench got to rule on that one, they said, yeah, no problem. But now you get... You get Republicans drawing maps. They follow the laws. They follow the, the contiguousness, the compactness, right? They follow the, the, group, uh, the county groupings. They follow all of these laws, and they get their maps tossed. It's quite another for the court to seize the authority to find, hidden within the folds of an open-ended guarantee of free and fair elections, rules governing the degree of permissible partisanship in redistricting. Because that's what they did. Free and fair elections. Well, that means we can set the amount of partisanship. That is a matter that this court, this U.S. Supreme Court, has held to be an unmoored determination that depends on basic questions that are political and not legal. The Constitution's guarantee of free elections offers no guidance for drawing election maps. And neither did the court. Congratulations, Debbie from Concord. She won the gift certificate. More chances to win this week. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 
By the way, at 2 o'clock, about another uh, 10 minutes, we're going to talk to Dallas Woodhouse. He had a very interesting angle on this uh, Supreme Court case. Uh, So South Carolina history buffs, you're going to want to keep it tuned right here. Well, everybody else, too. You should never change the dial from where where it is right now. Thank you. Okay. So uh, not to be outdone, the editor... Oh, sorry. I almost said editorial board, but that's not the case over at the Capital Broadcasting Company. This is the company that is owned by Jim Goodman, the uh, patron saint of left-wing causes in North Carolina, funds all of the leftist organizations under the uh, the Blueprint NC umbrella, and he also owns WRAL. Capital Broadcast Company owns WRAL-TV. And, uh, but we're told it's completely separate. So he went out and hired Seth Efron, the actor. No, I'm kidding. That's someone else. Zach Efron. Right. Seth Efron. He's a former reporter guy, but then turned into the comms person, as a lot of them do, uh, for two former Democrat governors. And so Seth, he never writes his name on these, but he writes them. And uh, so this is a uh, hired Democrat comms guy writing for the left wing donor in North Carolina. And it's billed as an editorial and it is uh, the opinion of Capital Broadcasting Company because corporations are people and they have opinions. All right. If State House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate Leader Phil Berger have their way, the complexion of our delegation will be more like them. Overwhelmingly Republican, male, and with little racial or ethnic diversity. They're working tirelessly through their bizarre effort to rewrite constitutional law. That's all, but almost all I'm going to read from that uh, stupidity, because uh, as is often the case, the uh, the writings of Seth Efron usually fall within the zone of dumbassery. Indeed. Yes. So uh, the editorial also says, looking at the total votes cast in congressional elections, Republicans got slightly more than 50 percent of the votes and Democrats got slightly less than 49 percent of the votes. That's about an even split. So a 7-7 split among our congressional districts, the 14 districts, 7-7 is fair. It's a fair map. See, it's fair because it's 7-7. Because you got like 51%, we got 49%. That's close enough, don't you think? 7-7. Andy Jackson at the John Locke Foundation. He says, WRAL starts with a false construct. Leave aside the fact that about an even split is not an even split. But legislative districts are simply not a means of distributing aggregated statewide votes. Right? Let me say that again. The legislative districts are not just a way to distribute the total number of aggregate votes. You don't say, well, there were so many votes cast in the state divided by 14. That's how many each district should have or whatever. That's not the case. What this is, is redistricting as a tool to fulfill a goal of backdoor proportional representation. That's what he's saying. Dr. Andy Jackson, this, they use this redistricting argument in order to get to a proportional representation model because it suits them, by the way. See, if, if it doesn't suit them, they're not making this argument. Legislative districts are about their local communities, not the state, he says. Those drawing maps should take care to consider the local communities represented by those districts. Those local interests 
should not be subsumed by statewide considerations, right? Just because a whole bunch of people vote in Durham doesn't mean that, you know, a whole lot of people in Waxhaw need to have their votes minimized because of that. That's not the point of of district elections. Specifically, local districts should not be drawn to satisfy statewide proportionality goals. That's essentially a proportional representation system. He goes on to say, North Carolina's current court-drawn congressional map is a Democrat protection plan designed to spare them from an expected red wave election. That red wave materialized in North Carolina with Republicans sweeping every statewide election and nearly gaining supermajorities in the General Assembly. The 7-7 congressional split, that's the outlier. That's the outlier. The court-appointed special masters who drew the map, 7-7, they did two classic gerrymandering maneuvers. First, they split Charlotte in half. That's called cracking, by the way. When Republicans draw maps and Democrats sue, they call that cracking. And that is exactly what the special masters did to Charlotte. Second, they cut out the most Democratic part of Raleigh and used it to transform an otherwise Republican-leaning district into one friendlier to Democratic candidates. That's how they got to a 7-7 split. The plaintiff's own expert witness in the case that resulted in the court-drawn map had testified that the most likely outcome in a congressional map drawing are drawn using neutral criteria is Republicans would be favored in nine of the 14 districts and Democrats would be favored in five of those districts. So Democrats got two seats gifted to them by the, quote, special masters as ordained by the court. That's what happened. Now, the good news is they've got those seats for just two years. Because the maps have to be redrawn. They're congressional maps. And these maps were not drawn. These were remedial maps, they call them, right, to remedy uh, a, a problem. So they were remedial. So they get to come back and draw maps because the requirement is that the legislature draws the maps. So they have to be approved by the legislature and all that. So uh, this is sort of like a, this was just like a, a one-time deal. We're going to get new maps. And so I don't know about you, but man, I'm looking forward to way more litigation about redistricting, huh? Huh? Who's with me? All right, stick around. Dallas Woodhouse will join me up next.